Welcome to Love and Live Abundantly. I'm Alana. I'm Bill. Do you want to love more effectively? Do you want to live fully and love more courageously? We talk about what all that means. And how you can achieve it. Join Join us. us. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're happy to have you here again with us today as we talk about stigma and reaching out for help, asking for support and the things that we need to help us move through anxiety and fear and stress. Yeah, we the, the topic, we, we stumbled on this topic for this session um, because we were talking about stress and we were talking about um how through early trauma through early learnings we learned a habituated way of dealing with anxiety uh that somehow now is in our adult years doesn't work but we try all kinds of ways to break that cycle but it doesn't doesn't happen and what needs to happen is to maybe reach out to somebody a coach or a pastor or a clergyman or a counselor or even a trusted friend, a teacher, a mentor, someone to to be able to help you to break through that. And Alana brought up the topic of stigma, the thing that gets in the way of our being able to do that entirely human thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're we're not taught to, we're I I feel like in society, everybody's supposed to make it seem that they've got it all figured out that their life is perfect. I mean, if you look at social media, you know you you see all of the positivity, and you know, meanwhile, in real life, what is happening in their life, it might. They might be struggling or going through a hard time, yet they don't know how to reach out and ask for support. We we talked about. <clears throat> sorry, I'm I'm just free associating now. We talked last time about anxiety being fear that has no reasonable object in the here and now. <clears throat> it seems to me that anxiety about going to see somebody to to deal with an issue uh is is at the roots of the stigma thing that and i i don't know what it what the the fear generally is is it that people will not like me that people will see me as stupid or inept or weak or crazy or okay. any of those other terrible names yeah. or what or broken or broken oh yeah yeah or imperfect yeah 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 that that but that's the stigma isn't it i'm anxious about something and what is it what is it i'm anxious about what what people think about what people think about me i have no clue what that is but i can be anxious about it i can be fearful of it I can be afraid of being called a name. I had an old coach in 
in college years ago who, who said who, who kept uh, kept asking me uh, during one of the sessions then what then what then what and and it had to do with anxiety and it was so cool um because he, he really didn't force me to come to the place where I needed to be and it was simple I said well I'm anxious about such and such and he said well if such and such happens then what Oh, well, then I would blah, 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 blah. And then what? Well, then I would blah, 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 blah. Well, then, then what? And what? And, and I was ashamed to admit it. But the very last then what was, well, then people will look at me. That's where that ang all that anxiety started, that that somehow I would be seen as, I would be seen as imperfect or broken or, and, and his, his whole ultimate point was, when you start feeling anxious, maybe an exercise to do is to say, all right, what am I anxious about? And if that happens, then what? And if that happens, then what? Well, and two, I'd, I'd like to bring up the point of the crap we make up in our minds, right? Like all of those things that you had thought about, what are the chances that they'd actually happen? <laughs> yeah, like, and, and what would be the terrible thing if they did? Yeah, and there's always going to people be people who don't like you. Oh, really? For the people um, that do like you or need to hear what you've got to say or share. So, yeah, so it brings me back to the, you know, how I said the, the definition I heard of anxiety is living up to other people's expectations. And what we create in our mind or we make up in our mind, I always say, I have a great imagination. I can make up a whole bunch of things and less than half even come true. Less than half ever, you know, come to, to fruition. But it's, it's thinking about how am I gonna come across to other people? How am I gonna show up? What are they gonna think about me? Thing is, do you really need other people to lay those expectations on? <clears throat> no. However, we're not taught not to. No, so but you can do it. You can do it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. You don't need help with that. Sometimes, sometimes you just have these weird expectations that you've been about yourself that you've been carrying around forever. Yeah. And and the fear that you're not going to live up to them, and so you you play this um this game of pretending that you got it all together yeah there's there's a, a, in sociology there's this there's this notion of the real and ideal self mm. and that the further apart my image my self-image uh, is of my real and ideal self the less happy i'm going to be <laughs> because i've laid out some serious expectations of what I should be in the world and yeah 
And, you know, um, again, it reminds me, I was talking with a friend and, you know, in school, um, when you're younger, they teach about bullying, right? Other people bullying kids in school. And it's like, why not teach about anxiety and depression? Because often we're the ones beating ourselves up. Mm. That anxiety and that depression, right? And so we don't learn that as kids. You know, it's like we have to go on this whole journey to really figure out that our expectations and what we want for ourselves, not anybody else, is what's important. Mm -hmm. And and the real difficulty, though, is um, how do you make those expectations of yourself manageable or human scaled? I mean, I one of the things that um, I think happens is that people fail by comparison. Mm. I had a guy sit down with me one time and he said, I have figured out how to be a 10 time loser. Uh, and this was a tremendous awareness. And uh, he was, we were in a small group and there were 11 of us in the group. And he said, the way I do that is I, I take a look at myself and I think about my intellect and I look around this group of 10 people. And in doing that, I can find one person who may be a little bit smarter than me. And then I, I think of my sense of humor and I, I look around this group and I find one person who may be funnier than me or better looking than me or wealthier than me or healthier than me or more fit. And he said, and so... I can be a loser in 10 separate comparisons and feel anxious about who I am and feel a shortfall from what I should be. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He said the, the thing that his awareness was that he needs to step back and look at those 10 things and see how wonderful a crazy quilt they make when stitched together in that unique pattern that's called in. He couldn't do that. He didn't know how. He, he lived too much of his life comparing himself to others. And uh, But I feel like that's common. I feel like, and maybe it goes back because we're not taught to think more of the positive or maybe it's because we're not taught not to focus on the negative, right? We're not taught either one of them. So mm -hmm. our brain just defaults to, to the negative. Whereas mm -hmm. like, I, I feel, I don't know whether it was ingrained in me or what, but there's always something positive that I can pull away from, right? Like September 11th, um, when September 11th happened, and you know the, the our country and and the world you know I, I feel like it it affected the entire world i looked at wow did our country come together and unite right there was it was amazing to see that regardless of anything and all of our differences we could come together and be the united states of america 
And so it was something that my brain, I had to pull something positive out of it mm -hmm. because I need to hold on to that. Because if I go down the negativity, then that's the spiral that I'll just continue on. And I've learned that that's not effective for me. It's not effective for me. And so I have, I feel like I've rewired my brain to go to more of the positive that when a situation happens, there's always something good to come out of it. Mm. Always a positive to take away from a negative experience. One hopes. One hopes. And even if, even if all you can take away is a promise of better days. Yes. Yeah. That it's not, it, it won't get worse than this. It will get better. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like the notion that, that it, even, even in trauma, um, in trauma work, if I look back on trauma in my life, I can say, wouldn't that all, what a terrible thing that was, that trauma. Oh my goodness. It, it left me with this terrible negative legacy. It left me with this uh, ineffective way of dealing with things sometimes. Or it left me with a pattern of anxiety or depression. I can say that, but I can't say that unless I'm willing to balance that with, yeah, but what did it also teach me? Did I, out of that, develop a set of responses that are very strong and that have been uh, some some healthy pillars of my personality? Uh, and I think, I think sometimes people either totally ignore that old that old trauma, and try to pretend it didn't happen, or they get fixed on how awful it was, and how stuck they are with it today. When I think real awareness means you have to be willing to say, "Yeah, yeah, it was bad," but. It mu I must have been pretty strong in the face of it because I'm still doing that thing. So I must have been creative and I must have found a way to deal with it then. Yeah. It reminds me of my trip to Ireland, right? Where it was a horrible experience. And so instead of using the word, but I would like to say, and right. It was, it was a hard, it was, something to go through and what I could take away from it has been huge. You know, the fact that it was an experience that I got to experience with my loved one, one-on-one, -on -one, right? How it has fueled me to, you know, do other things in my life with mental health awareness. And, you know, I mean, I could probably come up with five or six other different things, you know, that it has supported me through my journey. Mm. Yeah, it got, it got to reinforce for you that you had a set of skills yeah. that were were helpful to you. Yes. yes. What a great opportunity for you to be able to take them out of the trunk and use them. Yeah. Well, and and two, you know, with my new position, I, I they asked me if I had you know clinical experience. I'm like, no. However, I have my own personal experience and. You know, here are all these these you know times and experiences, um, you know that I've dealt dealt with loved ones in crisis. So yes, I I think that it it reinforced that for me. Was it ideal? 
no, you know, was my heart broken? Yes. Um, however, there was a lot, there were a lot more benefits that came from that. And, you know, and two, one of them being for people to talk more about mental health awareness and trauma that they've experienced instead of continuing to 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 push it down and i feel like we we keep getting better with each generation you know in expressing how we feel and and talking about that kind of stuff however the numbers are still are still not the greatest they're still more that we get to talk about, Bill, around, you know, mental health awareness, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I, I I recall when we when we did that session, you were talking about these are these are the things that happened. And in the past, I might have done this, this or that. Mm. But it was interesting to note to watch myself doing two or three or four things differently and how well they worked for me and how I was rewarded for that it was it, I mean it's one thing to say well I've learned my lesson uh, it's another thing to really have an opportunity to prove to yourself that in a practical way you've learned your lesson I mean I've seen people who write great papers about mental health um unfortunately they they can't walk the walk they can talk to talk but they can't walk the walk yeah. uh, and you they there you were you know how to talk to talk but you sure did walk the walk i did yeah. i did yeah. i i use the tools and the techniques and i already have the awareness so uh, and that's the thing, like I've, I've been working on it. It wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to just go into the positive aspects of this traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it took time and energy and focus to really want to rewire my brain to choose a different choice. That's really hard to do. I mean, after I won't speak about either of our ages, but after doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for however many years or decades, uh, one could imagine that somewhere in your brain, there's a neural path that's just gotten dug in deep. And is if you talk about the the site of least resistance in your brain, that's the way you're going to go automatically unless you spend like you did the, the special energy, the special effort to stop and do something else. It was really cool. It was a great example. Thank you. And you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's been my experience with my loved ones where, you know, we have, you know, my loved one is in the hospital and then all of a sudden we're having family dinner and nobody talks about it. And so how is anything ever going to change if we don't talk about it? And so that would that would have been my typical neural pathway would be to mm -hmm. not talk about it. Yeah. But at the same time, that was my brain, right? 
However, my heart and my gut was like, this is just wrong. There's just something is wrong with this. And it didn't feel right. And I honored that. I really, I honored that. And I, I went against, I feel like it's not only the neural pathway, but it's some family members and, you know, it, it had to, you know, it, it got to be where I just chose to not go down that path mm-hmm. and to choose something different because I wanted to be different for my family. And I know that there are more people out there that are experiencing this. And so when my family wouldn't listen to me, then I knew the world would. Well, the, 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 it brings us back to stigma, doesn't it? Yes. People don't want to talk about it because of the stigma. It's ironic to me that after decades and decades and decades of people like you and I and, and organizations saying mental illness is illness. That the fact is if we're at Thanksgiving dinner and aunt Maud just had her spleen taken out, nobody would even think twice about saying, Hey Maud, how are you recovering from that spleen thing? Or somebody's got, has had COVID and they're not feeling well. We would ask about it. We would talk about it. We would give them support. But it is another matter when it comes to this other thing that we claim to believe is also an illness, to be treated like any other illness. Mm -hmm. That damn stigma gets in the way, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. It sure does. You know, I I remember um, I remember one time a very very dear friend of mine. Um, you know, my loved one was in psychosis and in the hospital again, and and she you know called to see how I was doing, and she was like, oh yeah, I was watching the TV last night and and I thought about you. Um, this this young guy. Um, killed his family and killed himself and I about wanted to throw up uh you know she thought that she was supporting me in that you know and and bless her heart like she's really is a great friend it's just that people don't know what to say or how to say it or or what to do or how to support us you know it, it's like I have my NAMI family that anytime that there's, uh, you know, a mental health crisis in my life, I go to my National Alliance on Mental Illness family um, because they get it, because they have loved ones with a mental illness. Whereas I know that a lot of my friends and family would love to support me. My family, I don't know so much, but friends, um, the family is all about the stigma, right? They think it's, it's a character flaw in us and our family. And, and, you know, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, but I don't feel like people know because it's kind of like the fear of the unknown. And, you know, there's movies and, and people watch the news where they see somebody with a mental illness and they are killing their family and, you know, and then killing themselves by suicide and, that's what the public sees. So that's what they think. And that's not always what it is. That's what it is maybe one out of 20 times. It makes a great, it makes a great one hour drama, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. 
but not so often in real life. No, no. There's a guy um, that I that I whose work I really loved. His name was Irvin Yalom, and I won't go into all of his work, but he he said that there were a number of curative factors that people experience when they go into a therapy group or into a discussion group or a coaching group. Uh, and one of them just, re just resonated with me. And that is universalization. He said, what happens is when you come in and you, you, you let it down, you let down the barriers and you, you take this awful, terrible thing about yourself. You know, I'm such, I'm such a weirdo. I'm so anxious. I'm so strange. I'm, and you say it out loud and you discover that several other people in the group or some of the folks that you've talked about to say, oh, I've, I've felt like that sometimes. That that notion, I like his phrase especially. He said, the thing that is curative is that I just discovered that I am not unique in my wretchedness. Mm. Isn't that a great saying? Yes. I am not such a weirdo. I am not unique in my wretchedness. This is a fairly human response. And maybe other people have responded differently to it, and I might have a shot. Yeah. yeah. And also, I, I I think what the thing that happens is if I discover that that thing that I want to hide about myself or that I don't want to talk about myself, uh, that I think is somehow wrong or sick or broken. That if I see that in somebody else, and that somebody else is somebody that I kind of like or admire or who looks well put together or not so weird, that maybe that means the same thing about me, maybe. And yet, as you point out, people are so reluctant to just take that chance, that first chance. Wow. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many folks are listening to us, and I I don't know if you're listening to us right now. But um, I really would like to hear from folks who hear us talking if they have questions or want to add something or 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 have a an example or a, an idea about what we might discuss here. Why don't you let us know? Sure, would be cool. Yeah, we have a comment section in the. Um, you know, below this podcast here, we would love to answer any questions that you have and, um, you know, and have you be a part of, of, of this journey with us. That would really be neat. Yeah. I'd like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that feels like a good place for us to stop this session. Sounds good, Bill. We'll see you next time. Okay. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Join us on Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Enjoyed this podcast? Follow us on social media, Truth Be Told, One World.